There is no better way to let the Ohio hockey community know about your program, product, or service than advertising on the Ohio Hockey Digest and the On Air Podcast. Contact Scott Harrington at 216-548-2345 or scott at ohiohockeydigest.com to find out how we can help you get the word out. Two weeks ago, before we went on our summer break, we had a chance to sit down with the NHL Rookie of the Year candidate, Alex Sandalkovic, who took some time to speak with us. When we talked to Alex prior to this season, he was a minor leaguer, albeit a highly decorated one, still trying to force his way into an NHL role. Well, what a difference a year makes as he backstopped the Carolina Hurricanes to the second round of the NHL playoffs and was a finalist for NHL Rookie of the Year. I thought that anytime we get a chance to speak to Alex, it is entertaining. He is probably the most humble person I've ever met, seeing as how decorated he is becoming as far as an NHL goaltender, as far as a goaltender in general, pro goaltender. Um, He's always insightful, generous, hugely generous uh, with his time. So he took the time to sit with us, walk us through what it's like in an NHL locker room, what it was like. Uh, going in that run, going from playing in front of virtually no fans, playing in front of no fans, to all of a sudden playing into some sort of a a, a crowd, and he talked to us about the different things that that involved, as well as you know what was an, what's an exit meeting like, what's a summer for a professional like, you know his training regimen. He he was at the time we spoke, he was uh, back home in Michigan where he where he makes his summer, and uh, he he told us something that really struck us. I guess odd, if you will, he's not planning on going on the ice again until the end of uh, July, which was excellent. He said, he just, he knows what his body needs to regenerate or recuperate, if you will, and uh, reinvigorate himself. He's been in the gym, he's been training, but he doesn't get back on the ice until the end of July. So we were so blessed to have Alex. We talked to him for quite a while off air as well. Uh, Just a great guy. And uh, we're definitely blessed to have him with us. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that we've heard from college coaches and, and uh, players and junior coaches and things like that get away from the rink in the summer. And that's a, you know, that's a universal thing because here's a guy who's, you know, in the middle, you know, just getting his NHL career uh, underway. And uh, he's saying the same thing. I'm not going to go on the ice for a while. So that's great. But absolutely. absolutely. Um, the whole the, the whole time I was listening to that interview and you guys did a great job in my absence. Um, was I couldn't believe that the Carolina Hurricanes snuck that guy through waivers. Well, I thought of that, and I was talking How did to that some happen? people. Well, I was talking <laughs> to some people, too, and this year's waiver wire was, a, I mean, it was, a, it was a cap move. That's really all it was. So you were seeing guys sneak through the waiver that in normal years they wouldn't have done. So next year they, they pull that. Yeah, they put anybody. But I, somebody could have grabbed him though. Oh, hundred I mean, percent. 
The only thing I can think of is like there was a gentleman's agreement because everybody knew they had to use the taxi squad. Yes. That don't grab my guy when I send him to the taxi squad. Yes. There, you know. I mean, how do how do you let uh, if they sent him if they were sending him to Charlotte maybe in the American League maybe you know he would have been fair game but there was but know, that was a taxi was, move that was a that was right. you know that was a that was that was a way to circumvent the cap which everybody had access to do is circumvent the cap all year long so some Tampa Bay did it much better than others so yeah but now comes the fun part as Alex and both of his Hurricane Crease mates. Peter Morozik and James Reimer are in need of new contracts. So I'm sure when the uh, dust settles this uh, in the next few weeks, the pride of Parma and Valley Forge high school will be a full-time NHL goalie in the season upcoming. Oh, I'm sure. I'm I, sure I, he's good. I, I don't see how he's not. Yeah. I mean, There's I a ton of, he's not. Uh, and I assume it's, they might make a run at re-signing Peter Morozik. But um, yeah. Yeah. And let James Reimer go. But I was thought they were going to do that. Was it last year or two years ago that they were all free agents too? And they resigned both of them. And that was kind of a surprise. I I did like the one he kept telling. We were asking questions about uh, Coach Brindamore. And one thing that Alex said, he goes, Roddy's a straight shooter. Well, that stuck with me. And I was saying that same line for the next four days. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a great talk with Alex. Yes, it was. Well, before we get to our first guest, our guest for the evening, which we will not tease who it is yet, uh, how was your trip? I know Sully is Sully had his forty days and forty nights, and Danny's over there gardening, and they're both on assignment tonight. Yeah. But I finally get a chance to sit down with you here and find out how was the, the Boy Scout trip. It was it was really so. Well, first of all, Sully did make it back from. Oh yeah, yeah. He's back in Ohio. Well, he's back in Ohio. Uh, mentally, he's uh, jet lagged to the extreme, so he's not real sure what time it is. <clears throat> yeah, but he's, but he's back. But he's back. So that's good. That's were you good. in? You were in New Mexico, yes? New Mexico, northern New Mexico. Uh, Boy Scouts of America owns two hundred and sixty thousand acres. Wow. Which was donated to them by uh, Wade Phillips, who is not Wade Phillips, the football coach. Wade Phillips, who's one of the Phillips sixty six gas. Uh, it, that's his his brother actually. Okay. And he was part of that early and got out. Uh, bought they bought him out and he took the money and just bought up a bunch of land in New Mexico. Um, but it was uh, and fifty thousand of those acres burned three summers ago. But um, <laughs> it was an amazing experience. Made it back in one piece. Toe held up. Um. But it was it was no joke. It was a it was a challenging, you know, we were in carrying a lot of weight right off the bat in 95 degree weather, going uphill for six miles. It was it was no joke. And then later and when we got up to elevation, it was down in the 30s at night. Mm-hmm. And uh, it rained for the last four days. So it oh. was it was challenging. I mean, you gotta keep your stuff, you need dry stuff to sleep in or or you're in trouble up there. Yeah. We passed one. Uh, one of the Rangers actually was battling was, I thought he might have hypothermia because he was, you know, he had gotten wet and spent the night with some other, you know, out in the wilderness. So he was warming up at a fire in a cabin we passed, but, uh, it was not, uh, not for the faint of heart, but, uh, we got through it. Proud of my son. He, he hung in there and pound for pound carried more than anybody else. 
and uh, it was a great experience. But ready to, I was ready to come home towards the end. Oh, uh, you don't say. How how many guys? How many uh, uh, how many guys were involved in this trip? Funny you should ask. Ten of us at the beginning, and eight of us finished. Okay. Two uh, just had to opt out, or day seven, uh, father and son uh, combo tapped out. Okay. Okay. So, and it got they, a lot harder after that. So they probably, <laughs> although I didn't agree with their decision, they probably, they picked the right time to do it because it got cold and it got much more challenging uh, hiking uh, after what, that. Was there an extraction point, if you will, from where <laughs> they left or did they have to hike back the total distance they came from? No. Well, that's what I was telling them. I was like, you can't, it's going to take you four days to get home. So, yeah. you know, what are you doing? And that's the other thing. He told me that they had to go because his son was homesick, but they got off the trail and spent four days at a hotel in Santa Fe. So they didn't <laughs> go home. Um, but uh, day, I guess it was day eight. We were being replenished. We were giving, being given four days worth of food. So we were at a, uh, a logistics hub, I guess, if you will, okay. where they had a lot of food. So there were some pickup trucks coming and going. Oh, okay. So he found a guy with a clipboard and said, Get me on one of those trucks. <laughs> <laughs> so you said it wasn't all fun and giggles. No, it was. was I mean, some, there was some was, great, what, cool what stuff that the, happened. What was some of the hardest things that that you came in contact with? It rained for four days. Yeah, and it it stopped here and there, and it was just. I mean, getting a fire started it took us two hours, a couple nights to get a fire started because everything was wet, everything. Yeah. And we went, there was one place we stopped like the first night. It was one of the staff camps. I mean, some days you're just off by yourself in the middle of nowhere. This was at one of the staff camps and they had a, a raging fire going in the cabin. And one of the dudes just brought us like four hot coals. That's all you need. And we got yeah. a fire going and great. So we stopped at the next place and it's been raining for two days and I'm, I'm trying to get a fire started and it's just not happening. So I tell one of the boys, I go, go down to the cabin and ask him for some hot coals. He comes back with a crinkled up piece of paper and a piece of cardboard and says, the guy told us we're Boy Scouts, this should get it done. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so what was the first thing you did when you got back? Uh, first thing, so I get back from 12 days uh, sleeping on the ground and my wife tells us we're going up to uh Kelly's Island to tent camp. And I said, duh, oh, we are. <laughs> you can go. And I, plus I had to go to work. I mean, yeah. I've been away from this. So I said, look, I'll, I'll go up there and, you know, we'll get everything set up and all that. I'm, I'm, I'm coming home. Yeah. So there was, uh, did your son, did your son stay up there though? He did. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Um, how to be young with that back. Yeah, I know exactly. So I'm trying to think of where I went to eat. But I went and had a nice meal, got a, a cigar and some wine, and just uh, kind of sat on the patio for three days after that. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Saw a bear the first day. Oh, did you? Yeah, and didn't see any more the rest of the time. I was kind of surprised. But that was it was ideal circumstances to see a bear. He was, and it was a big one, too. We were just starting dinner and there was we were there was a big meadow and he was at the other end of it just eating berries chilling out and he started making his way towards us he got about 200 feet and we were about to start banging some pots together or something 200 feet from you from us 
Um, well, I'd have been banging it quarter mile. <laughs> uh, well, that a bird landed next to him when he ran off into the woods. Oh, okay. So, okay. But it was it was a good size one. Yeah. And uh, it was a black bear, but they have what they call a cinnamon coat or something like that in the spring and early summer. So I'm looking at them through the binoculars going, you sure they don't have brown bears here, right? It sure looked like one. But no, any, other, just, any other wildlife sightings? No. we Well, they told us you will not see the mountain lions, but they will see you. And that, that's reassuring. A couple times we came across the what they had not finished eating. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. that was one day we got off the trail. We realized we were on a game trail. We were off. We weren't really lost because we were going down the face of a mountain and we could see where we were going. Yeah. And we still had water. So it wasn't really an emergency or anything like that. But um, we were not where we were supposed to be. We we're on a game trail and we came across three deer legs, <laughs> like from the shin down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just sitting there on the trail. And I'm like, ah, that's pretty fresh. There were no flies <laughs> on it or anything. And, <laughs> and then one day the boys were to it was one of the camps where they didn't have water. So we were going to get it out of the stream and filter it and use the tabs and all that. And, uh, yeah. but that one of the, the dad says, well, let me just check upstream, make sure everything's cool. And when about 50 feet upstream, there was a dead cow laying in the stream oh, really? that had apparently fallen in there and got half eaten. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I'd love to ha have you have uh, David Attenborough's, voice narrating your entire trip <laughs> yeah that'd be fantastic well it's july which means normally sunshine and nice weather well lately it's been a lot of rain so as unpredictable as the weather is so is the news it's time to get into the digest and see what's making news in the world of hockey today cleveland monster and columbus blue jackets goaltender matisse kivlenix lost his life in a terrible accident on july 4th in michigan by now everyone has read about the incident which happened while we were on hi hiatus, but this is not really news at this point. But we wanted to give the voice of the monsters, Tony Brown, an opportunity to jump on for a few minutes just to share his thoughts on the young man. Tony, Matisse spent the last four years primarily here in Cleveland. Um, has the shock worn off for you yet and the folks around the monsters organization? Yeah, you know, Scott, shock is the exact word. Like, you know, the day that the news broke um, that he had passed away, I mean, it, it was uh, complete shock, um, I, I think, for all of us. And, and uh, you know, for me, it's just seeing as we're in the off season right now, um, you know, we're not around the rink uh, the way that you are during the season. It's just, it's almost surreal because, um, you know, like you mentioned, Kibby had been with the Monsters for, for four seasons straight, and that's that's a lot of time to spend uh, with an AHL organization, and that means that you become a fixture. Um, you become a fixture around the rink, in the dressing room. Um, for everybody that has anything to do with the team, you're, you're you know, it's just going to be really hard to show up for training camp and to show up for, you know, business in October uh, and, and to not see his face and to not you know, I, I mean, like you, you've seen all of the um, tributes that all of his teammates have, have written and, and uh, the remembrances of him. And, and they all have, you know, the exact image that was the first image that occurred to me, too, when I thought about him, which was talking about his smiling face it, it, every single day. He was just uh, somebody who was positive, somebody who appreciated the opportunity to 
to be there. Uh, appreciated the opportunity to be a pro hockey player, but also to, to you know, be with the monsters. And, and um, you know, I'm just going to miss him terribly personally. And uh, that's what that's who he was, and that's what he was about. Um, you know, he was supportive. He was kind. You know, I spent a lot of hours, especially in his first couple of years with the team, uh, where I sit on the bus is kind of near where the younger guys sit. Uh, the rookies and so forth. And, and so, I mean, just so much fun to talk to, to be around. Um, he was really a, a, a bright shining light of a, of a guy. And uh, so it's, it's really tough to think about showing up uh, for next season and not having, having Kitty there. And uh, you know, that's, that's sort of the behind the scenes stuff and that the personal stuff about him, but, but man, he was a, he was a tremendous goaltender too. And, and a guy that, that really from when he joined the monsters to, to what he was on the cusp of doing with the blue jackets um, heading into this season. He, I, I don't think I've seen that kind of growth um, from, from many players, if any players in my time in the American league. So um, it's just a heartbreaking, tragic thing. And uh, you know, we all, everybody, whether you're a player, a coach, a, a front office staffer, we're all going to miss, seeing his face and we are all uh, still coming to terms with the fact that he's, that he's gone. Yeah. And this is, you know, not a hockey, this is better, bigger than a hockey story, I guess, but he was just coming on to his, into his own uh, on the ice, learning some more time with Columbus and with the world championships being held in his native Latvia this spring, I know it's, it's a, a shock. It's, it's a tragedy, but do you think in time we can look back and say, you know, at least he had, he had that moment in the sun. He played really well for Latvia in his home country with his family and his, in front of his friends and countrymen there, um, you know, before his time was up, he got to, to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what a, what a moment for a proud, uh, you know, a proud native of Latvia to represent your country period, but then to, accomplish something uh, so historic as, as beating Canada on that kind of world stage. I mean, that, that is just storybook type stuff. And, and it's the product of all the hard work that, that we were just talking about. I mean, this was not a guy who took a normal route to get to the national hockey league. Like he, he played uh, I think in the Minnesota junior league, you know, tier three league. And then he was in the North American league um, dominated the USHL and then went straight to the American hockey league from the USHL as a goaltender. I mean, the challenge, uh, you know, that that poses is, is anybody would tell you it's a massive, massive leap. And he played a ton of games in his first season with the monsters. Uh, you know, when you think of moments, you know, of course, his, his first NHL win at Madison square garden. I mean, what a, what a thing that was. And like you talked about at the world championships, but, you know, I don't know why I've just been thinking back sort of uh, the moments, the on ice moments, you know, that he had with the monsters and um, one that I think of, I think it was in, uh, it was in his first year. So that must've been, I want to say 17, 18, uh, maybe 16, 17, but it was towards the end of the year. We were in the middle of a long road trip out West in Stockton, California. And he, uh, he played so many games that year and it took his lumps, you know, it was, a, it was a, you know, a grind for him that year, for sure. Um, positive attitude every single day, um, you know, all the things we just talked about. But he, he got towards the end of that season, his first shutout. And it was one of those games where low scoring game and, and you know, maybe 
maybe the game's in hand down the stretch and then the team is just playing for one thing and that's to get their get their goaltender that shutout and and uh it was just a great a great moment for him and i i just that one sticks with me a little bit when i think about uh you know all the moments i was privileged enough to watch him play um you know he was that kind of guy that that his teammates wanted to root for and and you know you know he's an easy guy to to want to see succeed I know I felt that way and, and um, you know, I know his teammates did too. And, and it just absolutely breaks your heart because, uh, you know, this was a wonderful person and a really great hockey player um, who had made his own opportunities for himself throughout his career and was just uh, on the verge. So you just, you know, it uh, just to me, it all comes back to just thinking of his family and, and, and uh, his teammates and all of his friends that, that, you know, we're impacted by him in a really meaningful way, you know, from a hockey sense, but also an, an off the ice sense. And I just, you know, feel lucky to have known him and just have a broken heart that he's not going to be there when training camp breaks. Well, well said. Um, appreciate you taking the time to come on and uh, share your thoughts with us. Scott, Scott I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, Matisse was a, just a wonderful guy. And so, uh, Godspeed, Kibby. We, we miss you so much, buddy. There are a lot of great hockey players competing in Ohio Hockey Project Summer Leagues right now, and you can keep up with all of the action at www.ohiohockeydigest.com, where you'll find schedules, results, and player stats for Bantams up through the pros. For the second straight summer, Gilmore Academy prep star Charlie Tuggy is putting up monster numbers. He torched the Futures League a year ago, and in his first game in the new premier division of the elite summer league, he put up six points. Tuggy also recently signed with the North Iowa Bulls in the tier two North American hockey league. And will try his hand at junior hockey this fall as he continues to pursue opportunities in college hockey. And then my coach, coach Cholino, he um, texted me and said that North Iowa was maybe going to draft me in the, um, in the draft in July. And then about a week later, they said they have uh, a tender left and they'd like to offer it to me. So it really, it came out of nowhere. But they, uh, the coach had been coming to a couple of our games this season. Um, so he was watching. A um, couple of my, my friend, uh, Logan Cleary, he plays at, um, in Lone Star, for the Lone Star Brahmas. Uh, he said it's a big jump, but you just have to go there and, you know, play your game. Don't try to play a game like someone else's. Uh, they like that the coach liked you for a reason. So you just got to go and do your thing and make sure you're working hard every day. A null draft is Wednesday, July 14th. So by the time this reaches your ears, it will have passed. Go to OhioHockeyDigest.com to see a list of players with Ohio ties selected in the draft. And by the time we talk again, the NHL offseason will be in full swing as the submission of protected lists, the Seattle expansion draft, the 2021 NHL entry draft, and the open of free agency will all be crammed into 12 into a 12-day window between July 17th and July 28th. First of all, I know it says to discuss. <laughs> Can we talk about Nikita Kucherov, please? Yeah. Because let me tell you what. I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm watching the sports net feed of it. And why just cause, and 
they they keep the cameras rolling the only the only the only thing i don't like about the the coverage of the final game or the finals is when they get to the handshakes the cameras go in a million places and i just like to see these guys shake hands it's one of the the most storied traditions in hockey every aspect of it's amazing the fact that they just beat the pants off each other for any number of games of four plus and here they are shaking hands and, and giving their well wishes and i'm sure some guys are throwing the uh, the occasional fu under their breath to their buddy but they, they don't do that well Sportsnet keeps it going and goes directly to post-game interviews. Uh. And there's Nikita Kucherov sitting shirtless, drinking Bud Lights, and was it Joe Smith from The Athletic? <laughs> We're going to go to Joe Smith of The Athletic. Okay, Joe, <laughs> let's have it. I'm like, this is going to be fantastic. And so on Sportsnet, they only ran it up until he uh, had what he had to say about Montreal fans, and then they cut it off. So immediately I go right to the internet and I'm like, fine, I need to find that entire interview because it's, it's yeah. hands down comedy entertainment. He had to have been dehydrated from playing in that game. Right. And he had to have been, uh, well, uh, <laughs> he was getting pretty well rehydrated there during. The oh, he, I, he, oh my God. Oh my God. When, when he, when the guy was asking him a question, he finishes his beer, crushes the can, <laughs> slides it down the table. Like it's, uh, uh, Laverne and Shirley and cracks another one immediately. I'm like, nice I, reference. I, I'm literally in tears and I'm like, this a shots is, brewery reference. This, nice. is, this is gold. This is a hundred percent gold. And he's been, I mean, I think he's going to surpass uh, Ovechkin for uh, no. <laughs> post season. That's a pretty high bar. I, I, hey, hey, the, the, those Russians, they get that gas in them and they just do it. But uh I think that with the protection lists, you know, coming out very shortly and you're going to see guys, I, I think as I was listening today on the radio, teams are going to start doing some, some things where, Hey, they got the, uh, the contracts set signed for the next X years, but it's not going to be announced so they can keep it's protecting the, guys. And, it's in the GM's drawer uh -huh. at his desk. Yeah. Uh -huh. There's a lot of, there's a lot of moving parts. It's going to be a real interesting, like I said, 12 days. Uh, there's a lot of stuff happening. A lot of stuff to keep track of, so it's going to be plenty, uh, plenty of items in the news for us to discuss. Uh, I was going to say, podcast. I was going to say, uh, I hope our news department is well rested because it's going to get busier yeah. to end July. But also, one last thought on the the handshake line. My favorite yes. moment all time is the handshake is when Milan Lucic. Who was it from Montreal that Lucic said he was going to? I'm going to f and kill you during the. Yeah, I don't remember who it was, but they I actually had they had T-shirts made up. It said, good game, good game, good game. I'm going to effing kill you. Good game, good game. <laughs> there, there, that, yeah, yeah. I can't tell the story, I know, but yes, indeed. And I, I'm, in some respects, I'm shocked that that almost doesn't happen more. Yeah, well, that's true, too. I mean, with, with how hard these guys battle, and I mean, 90% of your roster is banged up. Everybody's is banged up by this time of year, but still. That, yeah, they, you're they on the losing end. You know, mm -hmm. things are still a little raw. You got to go <laughs> shake the hand of some guy who's been chirping you for seven games. Yes. It's, it's surprising oh, yeah. it doesn't happen more often. You're right. Absolutely. It's time to get on air with the head coach of the Providence College Friars, Nate Lehman. Our guest tonight, Nate Lehman, has become one of the top coaches in college hockey. 
Coach Lehman had success first with Union College and now with Providence College, which he guided to the 2015 NCAA championship. He's also been a regular with USA Hockey, coaching Team USA at the U18 and U20 levels, including leading the 2021 team to the World Junior Championships as the head coach. He was also an assistant with the U.S. entry at the Men's World Championships this spring. But it all started in Centerville, Ohio. We are thrilled that Coach Lehman agreed to give us some of his time today, and we'll talk not only about his decorated college and international coaching career, but about growing up in Southwest Ohio and how he made it where he is today. Please welcome on air from Providence College <laughs> and the United States World Junior Championships, Coach Nate Lehman. Thanks, Coach, for being a part of us tonight. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we uh, we want to just dive right in and and bring us back to Centerville, Ohio, in the '70s and '80s, and and where specifically did you grow up, and how did you get started in hockey? Um, yeah, uh, I was a soccer player growing up. Um, you know, Centerville was a, a very big Centerville High School, and the whole Centerville area was a very big soccer and football area. Um, probably not unlike other parts of Ohio, you know, hockey was not popular in Ohio at all <clears throat> when I was growing up. Um, and, um, you know, I, I was, um, like every kid I, I, I was really, a you know, I grinded hard in soccer. I was going year round all the time. And, um, you know, it just, uh, it just wasn't when I was about 13 or 14, it just wasn't going the way I wanted it to, um, the uh and i had another kid on the team that said you know you should try hockey and he he kept asking me all year long try hockey try hockey try hockey and um when i was 14 uh, it was either 13 or 14 i think it was 14 i i tried i went out and uh you know signed up um maybe uh, yeah, i had to be 13 probably but i but um you know, I went out and signed up and, you know, couldn't skate or anything, but was, was learning it and, you know, had a pair of the plastic Bauer skates and, um, you know, that were good ankle support and easy to tie up. And, um, and it just grew like for, for, for whatever reason, you know, all my passion about, uh, about soccer and everything just completely transitioned to hockey. And I became an absolute, um, rink rat in the, in the worst way. I, you know, I'd be, I started working at the rink. So I was doing public skate all the time. Um, then I started refereeing the men's league, you know, uh, you know, so, so I'm, I'm playing, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm playing, I, you know, I think, uh, you know, I played like one year of like probably Bantam and then, then I had high school and, you know, made the JV team and was still really learning the skate and the game and things like that. Um, but back then, you know, hockey wasn't great in Ohio. So it was, you know, you could, you could jump in late, but, um, but again, you know, I, I, it was the Kettering, Kettering recreation center. Um, you know, my, uh, what people, you know, I, I just, I just came from a family where, you know, my parents had split when I was young and all of a sudden my, my, I had a, a sister that was a really, really good swimmer. Um, and, uh, so my, my mom was constantly with my sister. So I, you know, it was just, it was just kind of me and, and the rink became a little bit of a place that I was at all the time. And, um, you know, but I just, so it, it turned into, um, you, you know, working at the rink, doing all the public skates, playing hockey, um, referee in the men's league, um, 
and then I'd have the keys to lock up and, and I wouldn't lock up. I'd go, <laughs> you know, and then I, it was just, it was literally just a, a passion of the game. You just took over and, um, you know, fortunately again, high school hockey wasn't that big. So, um, you know, I was able to make the varsity team my sophomore year and keep getting better in junior, senior year. And then I played some junior hockey and then led to division three. And then all of a sudden, um, I, I, you know, division three hockey's great. Um, but I knew I wasn't gonna, I knew it was, it was the end of the road for me. So I was looking at, uh, I was a biology major. I, I was looking at three different graduate schools, um, you know, Ohio state, um, university of Maine and Cornell and Cornell wanted me to retake my GRE. Otherwise I would ended up at Cornell. Um, <laughs> Ohio state had funding for me to do a PhD and I didn't want to commit five years. So I basically ended up in Maine, you know, because it was a master's program. They had the funding um, to, uh, to, to support me as a student. I, I got up there. I was up there a month. Um, I was studying environmental contaminants. Um, and I still like, you know, I still love that stuff. But um, I just, you know, I was up there a month and I just, uh, you guys probably have come across this. You know, I was up there a month. I'm, I'm, sitting on a bar with with three other graduate students who came in with me under the same professor and you know like you're that's your friendship group whether you like it or not you know what i mean in grad school mm -hmm. so um i'm just sitting there and uh they couldn't stop talking science you know and i'm just going and, and, and in my head i'm going like what what's going on you know, like, <laughs> i don't want to talk science this, this isn't me you know, this isn't, and, uh, and, and it was the first time it dawned on me that, it, that, um, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe that stuff isn't, maybe hockey was, you know, my passion. I don't know. Like, um, I wasn't as, what dawned on me is I wasn't as passionate about, uh, about it as they were. And you've, you've all been like, everyone's been there. They've been around people that are really passionate about something You're like, ah, it's just not as, you know, <laughs> so I, I, I cold called Sean Walsh, um, the uh the next monday um and i was really lucky because um a it was maine it's the end of the earth right so there aren't a lot of hockey people that come up to maine you know especially mm -hmm. as grad students that already have funding you know what i mean so <laughs> in some ways um it, it, you know i i called uh, sean walsh he took the meeting he said come in and meet with me i met with him the next morning uh, he called my college coach and um, he just, he, he said, I don't have a spot for you, but I have a high school job for you. Um, so I coached a high school team um, and uh, it was probably the meanest high school coach in the, in the history of high school coaching. <laughs> um, and then I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, the main, the main rink is set up where, um, all the coaches get dressed in the same area. So I was, I was coming off the ice one day with, uh, with our high school practice and, and, uh, and Sean was going on with their staff and he had watched a little bit of our practice. And at that point he asked me to join their staff the next year. Um, you must not have been that mean if. Either that or he needed the heavy on his staff to yeah. fire the boys up. He didn't need a heavy. I can tell you that he didn't. He, no, he didn't. I think he just needed. Uh, I think he just needed extra hands, and I think he he saw that maybe that. All right, this guy's you know he's not going to be lost out there. He's gonna uh, he's going to be able to uh, figure out 
what I need out of him. And, uh, and then the next year, um, when I'm on the staff, we win the national championship. So, um, you know, a lot of things fell in line there. Right. And then, um, then I, I finished my master's work. Um, and, uh, you know, jobs and contaminants at that point, you're looking at going at, I was looking at, um, Washington, the state of Washington or Missouri where, where jobs were open. Right. And, uh, verse, um, hockey jobs were calling me, um, you know, like in, in, so there was a job in Chicago that I ended up not doing. Um, but then the, the position opened up at Harvard really late. And again, you know, um, probably the story of my career is that, um, I took a job for $12,000 and no benefits to work at Harvard, the richest school in the country, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what they were paying at the time, 12,000 bucks, no benefits. That's what I worked for in my first year at Harvard. But I, I got that job because, you know, a couple other people that, uh, that the head coach had, was trying to get, they basically said, no, um, you know, I, I can't work for that. You know, cause the going rate at that point for an assistant coach, like the low end was probably 35,000 the benefits and, but then the next year it got bumped up to, to full-time status and, and everything like that. And then, you know, we, we built a program there and in four years, we won, uh, we won a couple of championships, played in the NCAA tournament, I think two or three times. And, um, and then the union job opened up and how I got that job is that the athletic director from union uh, called the other assistant coach on our staff. And we shared an office that was that, you know, again, the richest school in the country, Harvard, you know, Harvard University at that time, a $5.5 billion endowment. We're sharing an office that's like 12 by six, you know what I mean? <laughs> you get, we're close. Yeah, we, close. we couldn't back up at the same time. We couldn't be on the phone at the same time. Um, our, our computers look like they're from NASA, you know, the old, the old school ones. And, uh, um, but, but the AD called him and asked her if he was interested in, um, and, and, you know, no one wanted the union job that it was, it was a horrible job. There was a lot of rumors about them going back to being division three, but I'm just, and I just remember like, I'm, I'm going like this on the other side of the room, like saying, tell them I'm interested, tell them I'm interested, you know? So we told them I'm interested in, uh, and again, I think it, it ended up where that wasn't a job. A lot of people wanted, but you know, I worked there eight years and we won some championships and did some good things and, you know, fortunate to, you know, now move on to, to greener pastures, but you know, that's the, that's kind of, I don't know. Ohio was awesome. And I'm coming to rambling here, but Ohio was awesome. The thing about Ohio back then in Southern Ohio, Southern Ohio, all the good hockey was in Cleveland. And there were a couple good teams in Toledo, Sylvania, North maybe. Um, but there was all the good teams were in Cleveland and uh, you know, and um we had a four-team league, and the four-team league was Centerville, Ohio, uh, Oxford, Talawanda, um, Cincinnati, Moeller, and Upper Arlington in Columbus. That was our league. Like, how high schools allowed us to do that? You think about that now. Like, every, every trip, you know, was an hour and a half. Every game was an hour and a half. And yeah. you were playing one of those teams every weekend. Um, it's pretty amazing. The school kind of let us do it. Um, when I, when I think back of it now and, um, um, you know, and it's just, uh, my senior year, we went to the state playoffs and we won a game and that was really big. 
And then the couple of years after me, I think they might even got to the semifinals. So, so that was mm -hmm. some big stuff. And um, it was cool. It was, it was good. It was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that the, the Blue Jackets are there. I'm happy hockey's grown in Ohio. I'm, ha I'm happy. You know, I get the, I get the, I, you know, I owe everywhere I'm going, if I see a, an Ohio next to a kid's name, I watch it extra hard. Just you know, kind of kind of being who I am and, and uh, you know, trying to make sure you take care of the homeland. And who was your coach at Centerville? Uh, Tim Evans. It was um, Tim Evans. So yeah. he's uh, actually spoke with him earlier this year because Centerville actually had to take the year off this year. Mm -hmm. um, he um, I think he had a 16 year stint as coach through the early 2000s. And he took it and he's but he's back now. Yeah. Uh, so he kind of took back over, but they had some COVID issues and some kids went and played travel hockey. So they took the year off, but they're planning on coming back yeah. uh, next season. Yeah. How was, how was the jump for you from going from high school to the North American league within? Yeah, it was pretty eye opening. You know, it was, uh, it, it was, that was a big jump, you know, like mm -hmm. I, you know, you, you obviously go from high school being a big fish and again, like, you know, like, it, um, you know, the, the thing about junior hockey, it, it, uh, it taught me that it, it taught me the game, you know, it, 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 it taught you, oh, you got it. You know, uh, our coach loved one-on-one -on -one battles. So taught you to compete. Um, there was, you know, taught you a four check is taught you what a breakout is taught you what a regroup was taught you, you know, if you want to score goals, you better get your butt to the net, you know, taught you a lot of toughness. Um, so I think it was, it was a good introduction to what real hockey is, you know, like, so to speak, you know, like where high school is great and everything. And it's great going to high school and wearing the jacket and, you know, and, and but, um, you know, junior hockey was, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a little, it was a little step into, you know, big boy, big boy land, you know, and it was, it was good. I was, I'm, I'm thankful that, that, uh, that I had that step and I'm, pretty thankful I had the coach I did, you know, cause he, he was kind of a, um, he's a little bit of a ball buster, but, um, you know, like he, he taught us basically how to compete and that's the biggest thing, you know, like that's one of the, the things I, I still, like if I, if I can help a kid learn to compete and it doesn't matter if they're going to end up being a hockey player, they're going to end up whatever they're going to end up to do. And if you got that, that uh i can grind log into you if you got that little chip on your shoulder where yeah you know uh, a little adversity doesn't affect you and you can power your way through it then you know that's that's something you can take with you for a long time so from from indy you go and you obviously i know you you spoke through into your coaching but your playing days you uh you played at suny Cortland. Mm -hmm. graduate obviously from suny Cortland. was there something about your experience as a student athlete there that that made you want to continue your hockey career? Um, or was it that it was, okay, I had it. I'm good. I'm going to go to Maine and do my graduate work. And, and then it was at Maine that you just said, you know what? I still, I want to do this still. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we had a, we, out of our Cortland team, I think we're, uh, I think three or four of us ended up, um, being really, um, making careers out of coaching like not just high school, like careers, like um, one of my teammates is an assistant for Tampa and he's won back to back cups. Um, another one of my teammates just got selected to be the Omaha uh, in the USHL, a coach and GM, but he was an American league coach also. Um, 
So I don't know. I don't know if it was just all of us hanging out together. I don't know if it's um, court was an education school too. I don't know if that's just kind of, you know, how, how we were all drawn to each other or, um, or I don't know if it was something that our coach did, you know what I mean? Like, um, so, uh, but uh, there's, it, it wasn't just me. I think there was kind of a group of us that went through together that all ended up in the, in that, in that world a little bit. And even a lot of my teammates have ended up uh, as high school coaches. I think there's three or four that are, that are high school teachers and coaches too. So I don't know. It's uh, it's um, I, you know, sometimes I think the same things happens with players sometimes when they come through as a group and, you know, and uh, that, that big group of kids that came through St. Louis and I've seen kids come through Buffalo and I've seen kids come through the East here, just all of a sudden they play together, you know, and they're around each other and around each other. And then the next thing you know, there's six of them on the national team. You're like, wait, how did that happen? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think we just, we kind of had a group like that. I don't know. I, I, uh, I'm not, uh, but I, but something did click when I was at Maine of saying basically like, you know, it was that night I was out at the bars, like, shit like i'm you know i'm used to talking hockey with the guys you know what i mean not used to talking about you know the cell or or or, you know something you know so i'm i'm you know like there's you know it just dawned to me that you know maybe science isn't the right thing you know so and you mentioned maine being the end of the earth or whatever but that was uh right in the middle of a pretty good run for the black bears i will uh, tell you, I'm a 1994 graduate of the University of New Hampshire. So, oh, okay. uh, big rivals, big rivals, big rivals. That, including, by the way, the 1999 championship game. Yeah, yeah. Um, won by Maine over New Hampshire. But um, were you at that game? Were you at that game, Scott? No, it was. It was funny. I was. I was the PR guy for the Lumberjacks at the time. We had a game that night, and I, I didn't see any of it. I had my back turned, looking at the TV, watching. Uh, watching the UNH main game, which didn't turn out the way it was supposed to, but yeah. So we go up, we go up to nothing in the game. All the momentum is going our way. All the momentum we go down and, uh, and we score to make it uh, three, nothing. We get a two on one, a shorthanded two on one, go down and score to make it three, nothing. Well, there was a rule back then that you could not be in the crease. No goal could be scored if you were in the crease. So we literally, you know, have two guys on a, on a, a two on one, one guy passes it and he's curling off to the corner after his pass. The other guy catches it and shoots while he's curling. The edge of the skate touches the top of the crease. <laughs> no bearing on the play whatsoever. Like uh-huh. zero bearing on the play. They call the goal back. And then Darren Hadar, like, you know, literally 27 seconds later, um, we're in their zone on the power play, still have momentum. And um, the power play ends. They clear the puck blind. It goes right to Darren Hadar for a breakaway. Not who you want to give a breakaway to. No. (laughs) 2-1, all the momentum flipped. And then for the next probably 25 minutes, they were pressing and pressing. They score um, with about five minutes to go in the third. And they, ha- they probably had three or four really good looks. Um, then we get to overtime and it was, you know, both teams kept getting unbelievable looks either way. And, uh, you know, fortunately for us, one of ours went in, but it, it was like, 
you know, like it, it's, uh, you, you think back of that and, and I've, you know, I've kind of, you know, been friendly with Dick Humilly, you know, since I've coached Providence, um, and just see how like you, you guys know the game. It's like one little bounce here or there changes like fate, like unbelievably, you know? And, uh, um, and I, I still feel, you know, bad that there, there's a part of me that, Hey, believe me, I, you know, I want to win, but there's still the older you get there. There's a little part of you that knows that you feel a little bad for Dick Humilly that one or two of those bounces go a different direction. You know. Yeah, and that was his best shot. He had an unbelievable 26-year career, never won a, a national yeah. title. But they always – they had the the Olympic-size ice. So yeah. he always put together teams with all the water bug, you know, guys who could skate and everything to win at home. And then they would get in the NCAA tournament, play in Manchester or something like that, and then it was a little different game. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, how much do you think being a part of that – that was a, a great – you know, being at the right place at the right time, did that being a part of that NCAA championship team help open the doors for you at Harvard? Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. That and working with Sean Walsh. I mean, yeah. Sean, Sean was really considered if not the best, one of the top two or three coaches in the game, you know? Um, so people wanted a piece of Sean and then you win a national championship and people want a piece of that. They want to know how they want to know, you know, they, they, they want to know what you did. Um, and they did, did they realize you were just learning to skate? Uh, what was it? 12 years ago. <laughs> 10 years ago yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. Like I still go to like USA hockey things and try to tell kids that it's, I don't think it's too late. I don't think it's ever too late. I, I think there's a big advantage. Um, I think there's a big advantage in, in learning the game that late. And it's that, um, I, I did all these all summer. I used to do like hockey camps, hockey schools, all down there at Miami of Ohio. And then mm -hmm. I became like a, a counselor and instructor and everything there. But I was at the age where I could process everything they were teaching you about the stride. I was at the age where I could process everything that they were teaching you, you know, about stick handling and stuff like that. And, you know, like I, I have three boys and, you know, I was trying to show one today, like, you know, he, he doesn't, he doesn't get full extension with the stride. He's just, he's 11. He's just at the age where maybe I think he can actually process it and, you know, and, uh, and think about it while he's, you know, maybe while he's on the ice, you know, going back for a puck or something like that, you know? Um, but there's, uh, you know, there's, there was a big advantage in my disadvantage. And, and, uh, and, and I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of kids that I would like to see pick the game up later because I really think you can, I, I just, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm a fan of that. You know, this so. might be a dumb question, but is that something that draws you to the college game to where the guys are older, the guys, you know, they've, they've, it's something where they they're old enough. They can process things at a faster level. Not that, not that, you know, junior players can't, Yeah. but it, the college game is, is I guess a, a little more mature than what some of the junior is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're the other thing that draws me to is the guys are there for a reason. You know what I mean? Like, like I would, I think I'd be frustrated with, with who I am. I think I'd just be frustrated with, um, you know, um, I'm just the type of guy that I just, yeah, I want to be around people that are all in, you know what I mean? And, and when you're in, where you're in college, usually, you know, you got the guys that are all in, you know? 
So right. I think I think that draws me a lot too. So your time at Harvard, how how many uh, how many bean pots did you play in? Four. Four. I don't think I don't know if we won a. Uh, we didn't play in the championship ever. No. 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 We were. We we uh, we we struggled in that tournament. Built it up too much to the kids. You know. Next question. Next question. No, it was. <laughs> It's a good tournament, you know. It, it's a really good tournament. Um, we were probably four and zero in the consolation game, um, but I think we were zero and four in that first game. And just we and we had we had some really good teams and a lot of guys that went on and played in the NHL. But we just built up the game too much for them and kind of paralyzed them. You know what I mean? Kind of like you know they were they were so much on you know the bean pot, bean pot, bean pot, and just. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a for people out here who don't understand that is a big deal in yeah. in Boston and New England. So that's an interesting point, though, on a big stage like that. As a coach, maybe you don't need to get the guys fired up. Maybe you need to do the exact opposite and try to cool the room down a little bit. Yeah. So when we were when we were at the World Junior Tournament, um, yeah, I had, I had a, a saying with the team that. Uh, you know, right from the opening day that we, we want to play our best when it matters the most, you know what it means? Because you you got the, you have the exhibitions and you have the, the pool play, but then when you get to the crossover, that's when you got, if you got to be humming, you got to be playing your best hockey. So, um, but you know, we got to the crossover, the first game we struggled in, um, it was Slovakia. We ended up winning six, two, but it was too, it might've been three, too late, you know, um, in the game. And then um, we we go to the semis and we're playing Finland, and you know you're you're over there. Everyone's fired up. I mean, it was COVID. We all want to play, and and but we we kept getting the 9 p.m. game. So you know we we the quarterfinal. There were three games before us, and we have the 9 p.m. game, and we we kind of came out a little flat. We got the semifinal game. Um, we we came out pretty well. Finland made a strong push and then we, we won it in the last like minute, but, um, but I thought with the, uh, you know, kind of talking about your point, I thought we, we would do our power play and our penalty kill meeting. We do our five on five meeting after pregame skate. Cause you're going to skate if you play at nine, you know, like I, I didn't love skating, but you're going to skate if you play at nine, cause you got to break up the day. Mm -hmm. uh, so you, you have a little skate and then you, you meet and you're spiking the guys a little bit, you know, like all my assistants were running the meetings and spike that. Then we, we pregame meal. And then we, you know, our, we do our power play penalty kill well, our penalty kill, our penalty kill coach who was outstanding over there, Steve Miller, who lives in Columbus now um, coaches at Ohio state, but he's like, he's a fiery guy. Right. So, you know, I, you know, like they rotate it, they hit the seam. What do we have to do? What do we have to do? We have to eat it. We have to eat it. You know, we're going to have to eat some. Well, but what, but the thing was all we were doing, we had these late starts and kind of back to that bean pot experience. Like all we're doing is we're spiking them and then we're bringing them down and then they have another meeting and we're spiking them again. And then we're bringing them down and that mental energy, like they got to be sharp, you know? And, and when you're playing, when we were playing so late, um, so then for the championship game that we were fortunate that game started at seven, maybe eight, but it was a little bit earlier, but, um, after we won in the semifinal, the number one thing, like the, the next morning, um, before the meetings, we, we talked as a staff as we're not going to raise our voice. 
no one is raising their voice all day. No meeting, no nothing. We wanted, we wanted the guys to have all the mental energy they could. We wanted them to have them to be loose. We wanted to show them what they needed to do, but they needed to be loose. And they, and they couldn't come in this game, you know, either tense or mentally drained a little bit. So the only time that we, quote, unquote, spiked them was um, after they come off a warm-up. You know, you go in as a coach, you announce the starting lineup, and I gave a little, I gave a little Herb Brooks speech, you know, and you, get, you give the little motivation one there, and that's when we spiked them. But that's, you know, back to those Harvard years. Like, if, as a coach, you learn something. You know, I, I'm not, uh, you know, it sucks we didn't win a Beanpot game in the first round, but I learned a lot. You know what I mean? I, I learned that, you know, uh, and including going to the national championship game, I learned like if you build up something, you're just, you're making your guys tight when they're tight. They, they not getting deep breaths. They're not seeing the ice as much. They're not thinking their muscles are tighter and they mm -hmm. don't want the puck as much, you know, and, and you, you're, your, your guys have to be in a good state of mind and loose and, and, you know, they got to work, but they got to be, they got to be loose when they do it, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, you, you back to your the Harvard days, and, and you said you're in your office, and you're saying you're interested in the union job, and that was a job that wasn't so sought after. What made you want to take that job then? I wanted to be a head coach, and I knew that was my only chance. Like I, I, I was, you know, I'm Nate, I'm Nate Lehman. Um, you know, guys, guys from Ohio weren't getting jobs. Guys from Division three weren't getting jobs, and it was probably it was much more about being you know, coming from division three and coaching in division one, then it probably would be, you know, coming from Ohio. Um, but I, I had to take the job that no one else wanted, you know, and, and, uh, and to kind of prove myself. And that's what I had. I kind of had to do that at Harvard also, um, you know, and, and, um, and, and so I knew that, you know, there, there weren't, at least at the time, I never believed that I would get, uh, you know, I kind of thought this was, this is, this is my only opportunity to be a head coach, you know? So, so you take, you take a job that is not sought after yeah. your last five years. You have 14 wins, 15 wins, 19, 21, 26. Now let's go to Providence. So what, what changes did you make to maybe the on ice system or the off ice culture at union that turned the ship around and got it going in the direction it needed to go? Well, it was, it was more about finding your niche in recruiting too. You know, like it was, uh, I, you know, like, uh, a couple of things like, um, so the coach at Harvard that I worked under basically got out of the game. Um, Sean Walsh passed away. Um, I didn't have a mentor. So the two guys I worked under, like, you know, when I became a head coach, um, two guys I worked under were now out of, you know, one, one was no longer alive and the other one was, was out of the game. So I didn't really have a mentor. So those first three or four years, um, you know, I mean, to be honest with you, I was 29 years old. I took the job and, um, I was growing a lot, you know, I was learning a lot. Um, you know, I, I was by no, by no means, you know, close to being, uh, you know, perfect. But the one thing I, I fell back on is work and compete. Um, so we, we, you know, in, in getting a good strength program and, um, but the, the thing that really flipped at, at union was we started recruiting Western Canada, um, really hard. We couldn't get like the, the U S kid or the prep school kid was not coming to union. Like, you know, we tried those first couple of years, they were not coming. And, 
we found a little niche in Western Canada, Alberta and British Columbia, um, where those kids, Union was not a scholarship school. Um, mm -hmm. there, there, there are good players out there that um, would be like a half scholarship or uh, um, for a lot of schools, but they didn't come from a lot. So when they applied for financial aid at Union, they would get like 75%. So all of a sudden, you know, um, kids that were halves at a Providence or a half scholarship at, you know, um, an RPI or, you know, or something like that, we could go in and they could, they could get a financial aid package um, that was more, that was like a 75% scholarship. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden we started getting like a, a better player. And then it morphed, it, it just grew into all of a sudden we were getting all-stars in the league. And then all of a sudden my last year, we got the MVP of the league, the rookie of the year of the league, um, and a couple all-stars in our recruiting class. Like we, we were the, we were the, the school that was banging out a good, um, you know, British Columbia and Alberta really well. Um, and then the other thing that really flipped it is we got, we, we got Keith Kincaid. So Keith Kincaid was a long Island kid. Um, and, you know, was in the North American league, had a pretty good year, went up to Des Moines, I think played like six games, kind of got lit up a little bit. So we kind of got lost in the shuffle. Um, Rick Bennett did a great job of, of recruiting him. Um, and we just kept tracking him and tracking him and tracking him. Went back to the North American League. Around November, we committed. And then he just took off, like took off and ended up getting the goalie of the year in the league. And he might've been junior hockey player of the year or something. And so all of a sudden we got, now we got like a, we got a big time goaltender also. And that, that turned it, you know what I mean? That, that turned a lot. Like you can be really good, but if you're at a 900 or 910 save percentage, just, you know, you're banging your head against something, you know, and this game is, is a lot about goaltending and, and we got, uh, you know, we, we got a stud in, in net. So Keith really turned things there. And then my last recruiting class, we got Shane Gothersbear. But I didn't. I never got to coach him. But um, you know, we were able to. It, it kind of grew and grew, and we were able to get these good players and develop them. And all of a sudden, we got deep, and we had a lot of depth, and we were older. And um, and then we got Keith, and that, that's kind of what turned it there, you know. So, Lev mentioned the uh, your last five, the win totals for your last five years at Union. Your first five years at Providence College. 14 wins, then 17, 22, 26, and 27. Uh, we're going to talk about the 2015 National Championship run, but I just wanted to mention that one of the great things about Providence College Hockey, in addition to all the players uh, that have, you know, NHL players who've turned out, I've had the pleasure of attending a game at Schneider Arena, one of the greatest places to see a hockey game. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know? um, and I, I think we talked about it before, you're – if you're sitting in the front row, your feet are at the top of the boards, like at the bottom of the glass, you're like hanging over. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's an awesome place to see a game. So I went down there. I actually went to Johnson and Wales for a year. So I went, I lived in Providence for a year. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Lived in uh, Xavier hall, which was like two, 
blocks from the uh, arena there. But then I went to UNH. The 19, I think it was the 1990 Hockey East quarterfinals was a best of three UNH at Providence. So I went back and stayed with my buddies and went to the games every night. It ended up being a three-game series. So three. The second game of that series. So Providence wins the first game. Second game, UNH is facing elimination and we win two to nothing. And we had a goalie. He was like a walk-on. That was his senior year that never played. I don't know if you've ever seen a goalie that actually wore the full eye tech, uh, full shield. I've never seen it before. Yeah. <laughs> his name was Pat Sturm. He was from Thunder Bay, Ontario. He wore the, wore the eye tech. He was our like starting goalie. And we won two to nothing. He had like a 55 save shutout and you would have swore 47 of them were going in the net. It was one of those games. <laughs> and it was one of the greatest hockey games I've ever seen in my life. That was at uh, Schneider. But um, uh, so the 2015 national championship run um, opened the tournament with a seven, five win over Miami and then ended up with uh, a come from behind four, three win over the number one seed, Boston University at Boston Garden. Uh, Brandon Tana with the game winner, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, what were the elements or, or individual players that made that team special? Um, it, was a, it, was a, it was a really good deep team. Um, we had a third line of Kevin Rooney, Brandon Tanif, and Steve McParland um, that I could match against anyone. And we matched them against Eichel in the, in the championship game. Um, but it, that, that team had a good element of heavy. Um, you know, I've, I, it's, it's, I, I don't think when you get to the NCAA tournament, I don't think it's a lot different than when you get to the NHL playoffs, the game's a lot different. Like if you're not heavy, you're not scoring, you know, like if you, unless your power play is just lights out, you know, which, which some teams have been like that, like that, but um, you know, when you start playing best on best all the time and, and at that time of year, everyone's working hard, you know what I mean? There's no one's taking shifts off and, and no one's not coming back hard or anything like that. And so you got to earn and, and work for, for every inch of the ice you get. And so you got to be heavy. You got to be, you, you got to be a hard team to play against and you got to have some heaviness to you. And, um, that team had, had some good heavy. We obviously had a, a big time goalie in John Gillies, um, our power play scored throughout the tournament, which was good. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, we, we, our region, the regional that year was us, Miami, Denver, and Boston college. And I, I, you know, like you look back, like Denver could have easily won it that year. You know, we, I think we beat them four one, but it was two one. And then we got two empty netters. Um, Denver could have easily won the national championship that year. Um, I think they won it the next year or the year after that, but, um, Miami had just won the NCHC. They were the best team in that league. They could have easily won the national championship that year. And we finished second in our league and BC finished first. So they could have won it that year. So our region, I think the, the bonus was, is us getting out of our region. Um, and then when we, when we played UNO in the semis, they just weren't as good as any of the teams in our region. So it, uh, it gave our team a little bit of confidence on a stage they'd never been on before. You know, we, we, 
you know, we played well that game. I thought we controlled almost the whole game, but it gave our, our team a little bit of a confidence and a swagger that, you know, on a stage they hadn't been before. And then, um, and then we were able to obviously play a, a league opponent in BU that we were familiar with um, and find a way to win that game late, you know, to win the national championship. So does uh, having success in the NCAA tournament, does that help you uh, prepare for the world juniors in that it's not a, like in the pros, it's a best of series, mm. you know, you make adjustments game to game. Yeah. NCAAs and the world juniors, once you get to the knockout round, it's, it's one, one and you're done. Yeah. And it's, I don't necessarily think hockey's meant to be a single elimination sport, but um, does coaching in those situations help you prepare for the world juniors or the world? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And it's, you know, I'll tell you just specialty teams are huge because it's, it's tough to score in those games. The first goal is huge. You know, usually the team that scores first gets a little bit of an energy kick. The team that doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, um, their, their energy drops a little bit. Um, face-offs are very important. Like if you go 60% in, in a face-off, you know, and for face-offs in a game like that, if you're starting with the puck more than your, your opponent, um, you're, you, you know, they're, they're, that becomes so much more. Um, so yeah, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that I think are, uh, are very similar, like, you know, in, in, the world junior one game shot in, in the NCAA tournament. Why did you want to go and, and coach in the world juniors from college? What, what uh, drew you to that? Let me rephrase that. What drew you to that? Well, I mean, just coaching for your country. Yeah. yeah here again, I, I, you know, like I'm a, I'm a nobody from, from, you know, Centerville, Ohio, man. <laughs> uh, you know, nobody. like this, this uh -huh. is uh this is that, that's a job that's, you know, that, that they give to the, uh, you know, the, the, the big boys, the blue bloods that have come up and you know, have worn their jerseys and, you know, or have come up in the right, you know, um, you know, pedigree, so to speak. And, and, uh, you know, I, I'm, you know, like, uh, it's, I, there aren't, you know, like Peter Laviolette is a guy that's, that that's done the same thing, you know, like it, it's, uh, it's, it's nice when you've, um, you know, obviously you, your dream is to represent your country. That's, mm -hmm. that's your dream. Um, and, uh, you know, you get that opportunity from the background that I, that I came through. You're, you're really, really, uh, you're really grateful. And that's and when we won the gold medal, that's, that's the first thing I said, it's just, I want to thank USA hockey for, for the opportunity, you know, and, um, you know, fortunately we won the gold. They asked me to do it again, uh, which is, which is awesome. And then, you know, then they asked me to do the world championships as an assistant. I mean, anytime you can represent your country, you want to do it. And uh, yeah, that's been, that's definitely been a, uh, you know, something that you wanted to a dream come true, so to speak, you know. When they ask you to do it again, did you did you give them the old? Well, let me think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I did talk to them a little bit about maybe. Uh, are you sure it's not going to be in a bubble? You know, because <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, the World Championships was a tough bubble. Uh, the World Junior wasn't as tough a bubble because you're in Edmonton. It's winter. It's cold outside. No one's going outside, right? Right. Uh, the World Championships in Riga, Latvia. It's beautiful outside every day. 
Um, we're at a much different stage with COVID. You know, our whole team was vaccinated, but we're, we were still in a really, really tight bubble. And, um, you know, where, where you weren't allowed to leave the hotel, you weren't allowed to go to restaurants, you weren't allowed to, you know, you're allowed to be in the rink. And, and so that, you know, I just, the only, the only my only, you know, hang up was, I, I, I have three boys. I wanted, I really wanted my boys to experience the tournament because World Juniors, such a cool tournament, especially when it's in Canada. And um, I was really bummed that they, that they didn't get to, uh, they didn't get to experience it. I just had a leg cramp. So sorry about that, but they, <laughs> but they didn't, they didn't experience it. And, and now that, um, you know, now going back and doing it, I, I just wanted to make sure that they got to experience the tournament because it's, uh, you know, that's, I, I want them, I want them to kind of be part of it and, and see what it's about. And maybe for two minutes, think their dad is cool. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and they can, then, then they can go back and be like, yeah, Dad can be dad again. Yeah, dad can be dad again, you know? How how rewarding was it having a couple of your uh, PC players, Brett Burrard and uh, Patrick Moynihan? Yeah, it was cool. That was cool. It was cool because they played well too, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it would have been hard if they, if they didn't play well, because it would have looked like uh, Coach Lehman's just taking his own guys and that sort of thing. And, and uh, both those guys played so well over there and, and, um, that they, that, you know, there, it was never, there was never an undertone in the team that those guys didn't belong, you know? And, and, and so that was, you know, I was happy for, for them because I don't make all the selections, you know, there's, we have, there's a general manager, there's a, there's a staff of four scouts, obviously the head coach has some say, but, uh, but for those guys to play so well, um, you know, it, it, that helped things a lot. And you'll be going, uh, is it the end of the month, the uh, summer showcase? Yeah. Is it, uh, is everybody able to come? Is it U.S., what, Finland, yep. Sweden? Uh, Finland, or Sweden. Where? Canada is not coming. Um, not coming. You know, I think they're, you know, they're still rolling out the vaccine. Um, <laughs> but uh, both Finland and Sweden are going to be there. And um, it'll be good. It'll be different. I mean, I think one of the reasons we had a lot of success is, because it was just us and we had two camps, just us, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? This is going to be more of a challenge to bring a group together because this first camp is, is basically three days of practice and then all games. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's much more just evaluating players than it is building an identity and, and what you want to become and, and how, you know, guys are going to fit into roles and things like that. Um, so that, that it'll, it'll be a different challenge this year for sure. How I know you love. You love. Sorry, I'm sorry. I know you love seeing those Ohio players. A couple of weeks, we'll be talking to Dylan and Tyler Duke, so you'll have at least one Ohio player there, Dylan. Yep. So, yeah. curious. Make sure, you, make sure you give him a long look. I will. I will. <laughs> I always do. I always do. How difficult was it? I guess, and I'm sure it isn't. I mean, a coach of your stature and everything, but you, you, when, when you're in college and you're bringing guys in, you're bringing in those pieces to fit how you need them to fit. You go to world junior and there's this group and I'm sure it's put together in a way. However, how do you, I guess, how, how do you convince guys that are and their normal team, if you will, are goal scorers that now they need to play a different role. If that was the case, if that is the case, how, how yeah. do you, how do you, how that's, do you navigate that dichotomy? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And that's coaching, right? Like that's so, you know, um, I'll just give you a little, you know, a, 
a tiny tidbit is that uh, I was getting frustrated that I wasn't being selected the world junior coach. Um, and the reason I wasn't being selected is that um, not because of this, the lack of success. I, I was having some success in college, but it was because they thought I was going to be too structured for the tournament. You know, they thought I'd be, a, I'm a good college coach, you know, over a course of a season, but I wouldn't be, uh, maybe I wasn't a good tournament coach. Okay. And uh, I finally kind of, you know, had a conversation with him one time and just said that if you don't think I'm bright enough to, to, to understand how a tournament works and change my style, then you don't think anything of me, you know, um, which is the truth. Like we all get labeled a certain type of coach and, and realistically, like your question's dead on. You're coaching these tournaments way different than you're coaching through the course of a season. Like the course of a season, you know, you can use the bench, right? Oh, you're not going to work back hard. Well, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's, we have 37 games before playoffs, you know, right. we got a lot of time to build and, and build our identity and grow and, and improve and things like that. And those tournaments, it's real simple. You got to get your best players to play their best hockey. That's right. it. Like if you don't get your best players to play their best hockey, you failed. That's that's and that was my approach going in all the time is how do I get Zegris? How do I get Caulfield? How do I get Kaliev? You know, how do I get Spencer Knight? How do I get all those guys playing their best hockey? Um, you know, and 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 within what it takes to win as a team, you know, like that's that's uh that is that that was completely my approach, but um, and I, I was proud of that, that Zegers got MVP because, you know, like if, 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 if anyone really broke down Zegers' clips, uh, his shifts or anything, he worked back. Like he worked back. Like he, he, and he's, he's a smart defensive player. Now he's an offensive player, but it, but when the moment calls for him to play defense, he knows exactly where the puck's going. He knows where to be. A lot of pucks hit his stick because he's in the right position, um, which feed into his offensive game. Um, but there, there's, you know, the, 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 the mindset of that tournament, you know, for me was how do I get our players playing their best hockey? I had a zoom with every guy going into camp uh, during the COVID and said that, and asked them the same thing. When are you playing your best hockey? What are you doing when you're not playing your best hockey? You know? And, uh, and then, and then it just gave me a little picture of them of what, and then almost every guy, I'm not moving my feet. You know, now some guys would say I'm missing the net. Some guys would say I'm not getting the puck enough. And then you'd go back to say, well, how are you working for the puck? You know, like, tell me, like, are you around the puck? Are you curling off the puck? Are you working towards the puck? You know, like, and, and, but it gave me a feel for um, how is Cole Caulfield going to be around the puck? How's Zegers going to be around the puck? How am I going to get them to play their best hockey? That was important. Um, the other thing that was important is just getting them to buy into the team. This, this was a very talented group in USA hockey, that, that old one group. And they, um, they lost the under 18s. Um, they lost in the semis in a shootout to Russia. They lost, um, in the world junior the year before in the quarters were, you know, it wasn't a good look, you know, for, for them having the talent they did. So I also got a group that had maybe had a little chip on their shoulder too. And, you know, and, and, um, but we, we talked a lot about, you know, uh, what a championship teams have that don't take talent. You know, like we, 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 we kept going back to that also is like, what, what are the things that don't take talent that we have to do? You know what I mean? Like people could talk about our talent, but, but what are the things 
that, you know, that don't take talent that if we're not doing, we don't have a chance. Is it playing as a group of five? Is it, is it being the best team at working back? Is it being the most disciplined team? You know, is it blocking a shot? Is it like, what are the things that, you know, don't take talent? And, um, you know, we talked a lot about that. And I think the guys, you know, the, the guys did a, a really good job of, I think we, we, we took that chip on their shoulder that they had that everyone kept saying, maybe this group can't win. We took that chip and we, we kind of used it in our, our advantage a little bit too, you know, so. So, so to go from juniors, uh, world juniors to the men's world championships, what were the, some, I guess, I guess what was the differences between working with pros versus working with the college kids, working with the, the high level junior kids? Um, I would say one of the differences is you can do a lot more on the film. Um, and you can be in the other, the other thing, I think the, one of the biggest differences in pros is, you know, from my experiences being around them, they want to know how to play every situation. Like pros, if they get scored on, they want to know what the hell happened there. Mm-hmm. What broke down? Why did it break down? Like these guys, like these guys are students of the game. They're, they, this is their living. They, they want to perform at their best. They want to know that the information you're giving them is, is accurate, is good. And they want to be prepared for every situation. And that was, that's something that, you know, that, that the world junior, there, there's probably a little bit more, um, there's a little more read and react. Whereas in the pros, um, you're going over every situation a little bit harder. You know what I mean? Like there's, mm-hmm. and they can pick up and they can, they can, they can know that information. They can read that information. They know what guy's out on a face off, what his look is, what we're trying to do against that guy on this power play on this face off on this dot. You know what I mean? Whereas a world junior team would be, this is what we're trying to do on the face offs. You know, and and that's uh, that maybe that's the best way I can explain it with the pros. And and there's a, there was a lot more. We had four practices, and then we played the tournament. Um, we lost our first game to Finland, and then we rattled off like six in a row. Um, got a couple guys injured, and and uh, and uh, and lost in the semi, but came back and won the bronze. But that that was my big takeaway from the tournament. And I love that part of it. You know what I mean? I love that part that. Uh, that challenge of, of making sure that the guys are so well prepared. Well, coach, for somebody who says he's nobody from Centerville, Ohio, you're a hell of a somebody. And we <laughs> want to thank you so much for spending your time with us tonight. And uh, I know we know you have to go. So I apologize for keeping you as long as we did, but thank you so much for being a part of this. And, and, and just you're on a hell of a run, man. And you have been since the day you started. Yeah, and I, that, I compete, that, that compete level is I can hear it in your voice right now this many years into your into the game so continued success to you guys at Providence and as, as also with USA Hockey and thanks again for being a part of the show tonight well I want to thank you guys for for helping the game in Ohio you know like that's it's a lot of passion you guys are bringing into the game to, to do these podcasts and who you guys have talked to and who you've spoken with and and I just ask you guys to keep doing it because you know it's uh I think there's going to be some great, great hockey players, you know, that, that I just want the game to continue to grow in when there's, you know, Roslevic or, you know, who the next great Ohio player is, but hopefully it's Dylan Duke or somebody and, you know, and thank you guys for everything you do and growing the game. And and thanks for having me on. There is no better way to let the Ohio hockey community know about your program 
product, or service than advertising on the Ohio Hockey Digest and the On Air Podcast. Contact Scott Harrington at 216-548-2345 or scott at ohiohockeydigest.com to find out how we can help you get the word out. Coach Nate Lehman, Providence College, United States of America's World Junior Hockey Head Coach, Assistant Coach for the World Men's, uh, Men's World Championship, excuse me. He spoke early on about his coaching juniors always doing one-on-one battles. Love that compete. I just sat here from 6.45 to almost an hour, a little over an hour, and listened to a man that's still competing every single day. Wanting, like you said, you, and, and for those, you know, obviously we're quote-unquote off-air there, competing, wanting the union job. Had to compete to get the, the main job. It's, I mean, every aspect it's a of miracle that he even got a volunteer assistant job at the University of Maine when he was teaching himself to skate 10 years or, or no, less than that. Um, that's that I, I was stunned by that revelation. Maybe, you know, I'm sure that's not a secret, but I had no idea. But I mean, obviously, uh, yeah, he's obviously good at what he does, works very hard, competes, as you say. Um, but a few things fell in line there. Um, you know, but the fact that even, you know, just the fact that he got the union college job when nobody else wanted it, when you figure, when you think about where he was coming from, um, is really a miracle. And, and now to be, uh, one of the top college coaches and, uh, coaching the world junior team to a gold medal last year. And he's got another shot at it this year. Um, that's always a tournament that I enjoy watching. I'm going to enjoy watching it even more this year. If I read this correctly, not to quote a slap shot, but if I read this card correctly, his 2021 consisted of a world junior gold and a world championship bronze. Yes. Not, yeah. Good work if you can get it, huh? Yeah. I mean, you know, let's think about something else. He started skating roughly 11, 12, 13, 14. And he never left an ice rink again. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah, because and like he said early, he had the keys to the ring and he never locked up. That yeah. passion drove him. The want to be better drove him. That knowledge for information drove him. That yeah. compete drove him. Mm-hmm. You know, like he said about becoming a world junior coach, coaching with USA hockey. You know, why were they going to give it to him? Those are for the guys that did this, this, and this. Right. That had the pedigree. Yeah. That went and, to and, and from even Minnesota and why, or Boston and went to prep school and played and why they didn't choose him the first time and why he was mad about that. I mean, yeah, but did he think he was gonna not have Zegris and Caulfield on the power play or something? We could have talked to him for another hour <laughs> easily because there was a million questions that off of what he was saying I wanted to ask, but I know he was on a, a time limit and, and yeah. I'd love to get him back again and, and maybe after the summer showcase or, or anything else, but that, that that's a awesome. guy that's a guy that has earned every step he's taken and continues to want to work and continue want to be better and if you're a player at providence or recruiting trying to be recruited into providence take a look at that guy man i mean wow that's just that's that's just down to earth human being stuff right there that's yeah. nothing fancy and and all the figuring he's had to do the mental challenges of not only you know, you, you have your college job and you're trying to make them successful and trying to, you know, continue on with that culture. Now you're handed the keys to the Cadillac, but it's in pieces. Now, how do I put it together and make it run like a Ferrari? 
he did it. I mean, he did it and he's continuing to do it. And that was just, I said, you know, that was easily in our, my opinion, that's in our top two to three interviews yeah. we've ever done. And, he, just, def- and he, he definitely has a soft spot for Ohio. I think I mentioned this when I first said uh, that we were going to have him on, but usually you know, I had no idea he was from Centerville, Ohio until mm-hmm. maybe it was when we were watching the world juniors they had it on the screen or i was looking at the game notes or something i saw and i was like oh. actually i know that was when it was because when it came on the screen you text us all and said we're getting that guy oh we're like <laughs> okay. please do please do yeah so um i have no contact so i didn't realize that jared knew him but at the time but so i i reached out when you asked somebody to come on the show and you have no personal way of reaching out i just usually just you go through the athletic department I've done yep, that with yep, some yep. people from Ohio State and stuff. Yep. So I'm about to do that. I go on the Providence College website and they have his email address on his bio page. I'm like, mm-hmm. ah, I'll just shoot, shoot him an email directly. That. He probably figured <laughs> he probably doesn't actually really answer him himself. Sent off an email, said, Hey, we do this thing in Ohio, you know, Ohio promoting Ohio hockey and this and that. And I go get myself a cup of coffee. I come and I sit down and there's an email response from I would be honored to. Can we do it next week? Oh, that's phenomenal. And then I had to say, well, we're booked next week because <laughs> we had the, the Greg Gutterman thing. Yeah. I big timed him. And then. Uh, <laughs> you big time Nate Lehman. Well done. And then, and then he ended up doing the world, uh, world championship. So we had to push it off, but um, you know, we've been in contact with Providence college to get it lined up and just thrilled that he was uh, generous with his time. And, and uh, that was uh, a great talk. I mean, how about the fact that the two guys he wanted to reach out to as mentors weren't available no and he still did it yeah i mean there well, there's a will there's a way man and and nate lehman's found that way and yeah. uh, that was awesome that was just awesome yep right. well the list of upcoming guests on the on-air podcast get ready folks brianne mclaughlin dylan and tyler duke brett harkins jody shelley the one and only Jacques Collender and coach from the Ohio State women's hockey team, Nadine Muzzerall, are future guests for us. Make sure you check out the episode archives and the schedule for these great guests coming up on www.ohiohockeydigest.com. Once again, thanks to Providence men's coach, Nate Lehman, for joining us. Continuing to grow the game as best we can. This is On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast.